Thanks for checking out the Ascent Church podcast. Our mission is to reach, equip, and impact others exactly where they are as we rise to new life in Christ. We hope that this message encourages you. Now, here's Pastor Thomas Lane. Y'all, so many things in life are not problems to solve. They are a tension to manage. This is actually not my laundry. It's someone else's. I hope there's no undies in it. But if there are, I might get the point across. Doesn't smell like it. It smells fresh. It smells good. It smells real good. Y'all, but it's a great illustration because laundry is not a problem you solve. You're like, I finished, I'm done, check. And you look and your kid had a pile that they didn't tell you about. You get a little mad about it. And then a few days goes by, it's like you never even did it in the first place. That's how so much of life is with work, with bills, with laundry. And it really, really does get the point across that this life is messy. It's messy. Somebody say it's messy. We've done this all series. Turn your neighbor, say you're a mess. Tell them you're a hot mess. You're a hot mess. You're a hot mess. Y'all, I want to challenge you today. Is that okay? See, sometimes we want an easy manby pamby sermon. We want it to be easy and light. But can I challenge you a little bit? See, sometimes you go to the gym, and I've seen you at the gym, and you don't do nothing. All right? I see you on Instagram, on Facebook. I see you get a few reps in and get on Facebook for 20 minutes because you earned it. Anybody go to the gym? Anybody? Okay, some of y'all don't. I'll show you what it looks like. I got my props here. I got my weights. I got the, I got the little guns, all right? And I'm not making fun of you if you use tens. That's fine. That's fine. But this is what I see. I see some people come in the gym looking good. Hey, what's up, ladies? What's up? What's up? And it's guys. It's ladies. It's everyone. They come in, do a few reps. I'm good. Back to Instagram, back to Facebook. You're not getting the sweat. You're not getting toned. You're not doing anything. And then you start talking to your friends. You're like, oh my gosh, did you see this week's This Is Us? Can you believe they ended it like that? Did you see Bachelor in Paradise? All right, I hear these things and I'm like, y'all need to get to work. All right, no offense if that's you. I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of it too. I'm on, the, I'm on the gram at the gym too. But this ain't one of those sermons. This is a little heavy. This is a workout. You're going to feel it, Kate. PJ, you're going to feel it. Those of you who work out, you're going to feel it today. It's going to be a little tough. May I have permission to challenge you today? All right. Some, the front row didn't come today because they heard it was challenging, I suppose. Or, or maybe I was praying and they just split. I don't quite, I don't quite know, but I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you. Um, this is going to be a tough one. It really is. So this, if this is your first time here, I want you to keep an open mind. If you've never been to church before, I want you to keep an open mind. I don't want you to make a judgment based on 30 minutes. Um, I challenge you to come back. But I did something on Instagram and I reached out to Instagram and I say, we're doing a series called This Messy Life. What is the messiest part of your life? What's something that stresses you out? I'm going to trip over these. I swear I am. So I'm going to move them because it's going to be real embarrassing if I do. I said, what's the messiest part of your life? And nine, out, probably seven out of 10, you know what it was? It was money. It was finances, money. It stresses me out. It affects my marriage. It affects my kids. I feel trapped. But you wouldn't know that by looking at these people. But if we can be honest, we could say money stresses me out a little bit. So that's what we're talking about today. And some of you that excite you because you feel stranded, you feel like you need some help. Some of you, you're like, I wanted something spiritual. I came to church for something spiritual. I wanted my soul to be like filled. And that's just not going to do it. All right. The reality is this. There's over 2,000 verses in scripture about money or finances. Okay, what kind of church would this be? What kind of pastor would I be if I just all 2000, I just blew it off? 
Not a big deal. It's like God knew we would struggle with this. It's as if he knew thousands of years ago that it's part of the human condition. We struggle with provision. We struggle how to manage resources properly. They say this. They say this. If you're going to talk about money, sex, religion, or politics, you're going to make people uncomfortable. Well, we're talking about two of the four, okay, religion and money. So if you're a little uncomfortable, it's about to get a lot worse, okay? I promise you that. But it's like my gym analogy. It's like I say at the gym, if you ain't straining, you ain't gaining. If the bar ain't bending, you're just pretending. You know what I'm talking about? If you got like fibers and want someone in the back's excited, if you got a little fibers, nothing's going to happen. But if the bar is bending, if you're pushing it, if you're feeling it under the weight, you're going to make some gains. That's what we're going to do today. Make some spiritual gains. All right. All right. The reality is this, y'all. Eight out of 10, eight out of 10 Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Meaning this, meaning that if you don't get paid this next week for whatever, you're sick or something happens, you're not, you're not going to be able to feed your family or you're going to have to go debt into debt or deeper into debt. This is a constant form of stress. Money fights and money problems are the number one cause of conflict and divorce in North America. What kind of leader would I be if we didn't talk about this stuff? So you maybe wanted something more spiritual, but I think this is, I think saving your marriage is as spiritual as it gets. All right. I think allowing God to speak to you so you can sleep at night is about as spiritual as it gets. We got to talk about it. I just want you to know if you're scared right now, you're not alone. All right, this church exists to come alongside you. We can help. We want to help you with free resources. We recommend DaveRamsey.com. He's amazing. He's bald. He's fantastic. Uh, There he is. Look how bald he is. All right, he's great. That's what we recommend, but you're not alone. You're not alone. Let's pray, and then we'll kick things off right. Father God, I ask you to meet us here. God, if we feel like we good in the area of money, I ask you to still take us deeper. Challenge us. Challenge us. Challenge us, God. If we look at money and we're like, I got that figured out, I'm good. God, I ask you to challenge us today. Bring us in deeper. And if we're terrified, if the thought of even thinking about money makes us start to sweat a little bit, I ask you to meet us right where we are. Fill us with your presence. Fill us with your peace and your presence and your holiness and your grace, God, as we tackle this topic together, this messy, messy topic. In your son's good name we pray. Amen. Scripture says there's three things we should do with money. The first is plan slash save. All right, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about it. The Proverbs, Proverbs 6, 6, we're going to start with. Sometimes the Bible's a little snarky. You ever notice that? If you've read it, this is a little snarky, okay? Are you okay with that? It's not quite what you'd expect to find in the Bible. Proverbs 6, 6, 6, it says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Somebody say sluggard. Sluggard is like sleep until noon. Lazy. Sluggard. Sluggard is, you might know this, sluggard is when you watch Netflix and the screen comes up and it's like, hey, are you still alive? (laughs) It's like, no human being would possibly watch TV for this long. So like, are you awake? Are you alive? Netflix should just call 911 when that happens. It's like, something's gone wrong. It should just be built in. I'm calling the the cops. I'm calling an ambulance because you need help. But it happens to me when I binge watch The Office. Anyone into The Office? All right, you guys know the office. That's me being a sluggard. So scripture says, oh, let's bring that back up. Let's bring it back up. It says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. Meaning this, hey, you think you're smart? You think you have stuff figured out? Well, the ant can teach you a few things. The ant can teach you a few things. Okay, what's it got for me? It stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Here's what it's saying. It's like, look, look, this may hurt someone's feelings, but it's true. The ant is a dummy. 
I might even say it has a pea brain, but it doesn't even have that. Ants don't talk, but you've seen them work. They work their butt off. And they don't just work, they store. They save. They build up some things. And it's ironic that the ant builds up things better than we do sometimes. The ant's better at saving. It's better at investing. It's better at having an emergency fund, so to speak, than a lot of us are. And Scripture says we can learn some things from the ant. I love that it chose the ant. Because there's other animals that work hard, that store up things. But the reality is, I love that it stored the ant. Did you know ants are really strong? If ants were our size, they could lift up cars over their heads. So God deliberately chose something that looks small, looks weak, but it has an insane amount of strength. I wanted to tell you, when you go up against your finances, you may feel small, you may feel weak, you may feel disorganized, but you have a source of power within you through the Holy Spirit that that can get you through anything. You feel like that debt is a car. You can't budget. But with God's power, with his presence, you can lift that mountain. You can throw up that car. You can do anything if he is on your side. Scripture is clear. It says that we need to have an emergency fund. I'm about to give you a crazy biblical principle. This is deep. This is deep stuff. Ready, all you math nerds? Scripture says we should live on less than we make. (gasps) Whoa, that's deep. That's so deep, meaning if we make 50 grand a year, we can't live like we make 100 grand a year. It's called debt. It's called stress. It's called chaos. Here's another one. Ready for this? You need a budget. All the nerds just said, ooh, yeah. All the free spirits are like, oh, man. But you need to realize this. A budget is telling your money where to go rather than wondering where it went. Because a lot of us, you wonder where it went. You're like, I'm certain I worked this week. I'm certain I got paid. Where did my money go? I got some empty Starbucks cups, some empty little to-go things from Chipotle. You ever notice how hard it is to get the, the, the container back on the Chipotle to-go thing? It's so hard. It's near impossible. That has nothing to do with the sermon, but I was just thinking about that, Karen. The reality is this. The reality is this. We have a lot of stuff, but sometimes our bank account is a little scary. It's a little scary. It's a little scary. We have a lot of stuff. We have a lot of stuff, stuff we don't need. Our garage is filled with stuff. Our car is filled with stuff. We have, you don't want to look at your Starbucks bill because you've spent some money. But a budget is telling your money where to go rather than wondering where it went. And if you have a, if you have a budget, you take so much conflict out of your life. There's no need to stress. There's no need to stress. If you're married and you have a budget, it's a great way to spit shake start of the month and say, look, this is where our money's going. Even if your income's all over the place, you can still make a plan. You can still make a plan because, hey, men, you know your girl has some stuff you don't think she needs. The men are trying real hard not to smile right now. They're trying real, real hard. All right, ladies, your man has some things you don't think he needs. He'll need another gun. Doesn't need more hunting stuff. Doesn't need another video game. Each of us have things you say, you have enough of that crap. You don't need any more. But you see, here's what happens. At the end of the month, money starts to go down. We start to sweat. We say, how many days left till I get paid? I'm going to have to survive on that stale hurricane food that I loaded up on that I didn't even need. I'm going to eat crackers and tuna. I don't know how how I'm going to make it. And at the end of the month, your girl buys some shoes, which she feels like she can have, and you get a little frustrated. It's the end of the month. What are you doing? You buy a video game. You buy something she doesn't think you need. But no, no, no. If you have a budget, At the start of the month, you can say, this is how much we're going to spend on clothes. This is how much we're going to spend going out. Whatever. You spit shake. You decide it beforehand. It takes the conflict out of everything. Do we have any coffee drinkers? Um, Anybody go to Starbucks? 
I'm about to make you mad as a snake, and I'm sorry, but that's my job. So the average American spends $3 a day on coffee. I've seen some of y'all at Starbucks. You got your double whip with an f- extra shot of espresso on your frap. All right? At any $3, that's like five, six, seven. I played the, the, the numbers, all right? This is going to make someone mad. Deal with it. If you spend $5 a day on coffee, just five, just five, that's nothing. Five, just five bucks. If you spend $5 a day on coffee, you're working lifetime, meaning 18 through 65. Every day, 150 a month. If you spent that, rather, if you didn't spend it, if you invested it, at the average rate of the stock market's return, which is like 11% since its inception, you would have $2.4 million at 65. That's some expensive coffee. That's why Starbucks is fancier than your house. That's why you go there to hang out. Cause you're up there. You're like this, this, you know, this couch is kind of comfy. That's cause you paid for it. I like the ambiance here. My apartment really sucks. Well, you know why? Cause you, you pay for it. You spend it. Now I'm not trying to say don't drink coffee. I love coffee. My son got up at 3.14 a.m. and decided to stay up. So daddy's been up since 3 a.m., but we're going hard because I had a little thing called coffee and the Holy Spirit. All right, that'll do it. That'll do it. That's a good combo. For you moms and dads out there and you workers, that's a good combo. The point is this, you need a budget. You need to tell your money where to go rather than wondering where it went because emergencies are going to happen. My car was in the, I'm not making this up, between our two cars five times this month. Uh, window quit working, flat tire needed all new tires because um, they were worn down. Um, the ball joints were rusty. I didn't even know what that was. I thought they were just trying to mess with me. Yes, sir, your uh, your uh, spark tube is leaking. I said, a ball joint, what is that? The reality is that savings turns an emergency into an inconvenience. It's still a pain in the butt to write a check, but it's a much different conversation with your spouse if you have the money. We need to save. We need to plan. Next up, we need to spend. Some of y'all feel guilty for spending. No, I don't think it's bad to have nice things, but you have, to, you have to live within your budget, within your means. Speaking of spending, I'm good at spending. They just put a cookout near my house. I'm going to do some spending down, in, down on General Booth. They got two lanes just for me coming on right on through. Y'all know about cookout? Y'all, y'all look for this sign. It's a little slice of heaven. They got little Bible verses on the cups. It's an amazing thing. Y'all know about the trays? Hashtag trays for days, all right? It's like five bucks. You can get all kinds of good. It's not healthy. Don't expect that. You can get milkshakes, fries, onion rings, chicken nuggets as a side. What on earth is that? Okay? I don't, we don't have to talk about spending. You probably are easy. You're good at spending. I'm good at spending. Let's move on. Planning and saving, spending. I need cookout now. Uh, three, this is the fun one, Giving. Giving is the one we struggle with the most. We're like budgeting, saving, spending, giving. Ooh. So I'm going to talk about giving. If this isn't your church, you shouldn't give to this church. Give somewhere else. If you think, if you hear me talking and you think he just wants my money, he's greedy, give to another church down the street, give somewhere else. I'm going to tell you, your life will be better. You'll be more blessed. You'll know God better if you give somewhere or something. I'm just going to say that. Because as I'm speaking, as I'm teaching on giving, I know some of y'all won't be able to hear me because you're questioning my motives. And I want to say, I'd rather you give down the street or anywhere but not at all. The reality is Jesus talked more about giving than he did adultery, okay, lying, murder, all these things put together. He talked about it all the time. It was a big thing. It was a big thing. And this is not a sermon to say, here's why you should give to this church. You can if you'd like, but I'm going to say it again. Some of y'all are new and you're like, oh, it's one of those. 
Okay, it's not one of those, but the reality is what kind of leader would I be if I ignore something that God had been to say 2,000 times in his word, in his word. The reason I think it's so hard is because no one feels ungenerous. All right, you work your butt off. You work your butt off, raising kids is hard, going to work is hard, going to school is hard. Nobody comes home and gets in a bathtub full of money and just kind of splashes around the coins and the bills. You don't do that. You don't feel greedy. We're not, we're not really greedy, but the reality is our struggle is we always look two rungs up, not two rungs down. Right on. We don't look at the homeless and compare ourselves. We look at the Kardashians. We look at Jay-Z and you say, I'm not Jay-Z. I'm just trying to make ends meet. The reality is this. If you make 32 grand a year, you're in the top 1% of income earners in the world. 32. Of the whole, not just not America, I'm talking the whole world. So the reality is we are, many of us, in the 1%. But we don't feel like it. We don't feel like it. I'm not going to teach on this. I want Jesus to do the talking. Let's go to Luke 21. This is the last week of Jesus' life. He's in the temple. He's about to die in a few days. This is what he says in the temple. While Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. So you'd think Jesus would say this. You'd think he'd say, this is how I want you to give, like the rich people. Like, oh, the rich people, write a big fat check and buy a cent church a building, buy them a new trailer, buy them this. No, no, no. He doesn't even notice them. He says, see that little lady, the one everyone else ignored, the one everyone looked past, the one who threw in two pennies. What can you even do with two pennies? You see her? Let's talk about her. Let's talk about her. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than the rest of them. For they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor she is, has given everything she has. Everything she has. Three thoughts on giving. First off, the why of giving. Why do we give? Why do we give? Well, the first why is to do worship. Same reason she gave is the reason we give. For worship, so we can have staff and space and advancement. The second thing is to help the community. To help the community. When she gave those two little pennies, that's what it was for. To keep the temple going and to help the community. There should be things in your life that upset you. There should be things that you're driving home and you should be furious that this is an area of human trafficking. That this is a hub. That should make you mad. The homeless on the street, that should make you mad. Families who are broken and hurting and dying and sad and struggling and depressed, that should upset you. This is, this is what your church is doing. I just want you to know, if you, if you give here, one in five adults in Hampton Roads is actively connected to a church. One in five. I wanted to tell you your church is doing something about that. There's homeless folks in our area. Your church, your giving is doing something about that. There are orphans and families dying to reunite. Your church is doing something about that. There are people lonely, starving, desperate, not knowing where to turn, desperately seeking the love of God. Your church is doing something about that. That's where your giving's going. That's why you're here. When you give, you partner with God to be the light of the world, to make an eternal impact, to change someone's family tree, to break them possibly of addictions. Since we started church last year, in a year, we've seen 59 people get baptized. That's something I'm gonna not stop celebrating. If you're not excited about it, I'm gonna get you excited. I think we have some photos. That's from our first one. We have some more. Let's keep them rolling. This is from, from teenagers to elderly, all kinds of people going public with their faith through the waters of baptism. The sea was rough. It was awesome. Families hugging it out, smiling, people praising, worshiping, getting hype. That's what it's all about. But I wanted to tell you, when you do give to the church, right on, it changes the way you experience that. 
Now, you don't take pride or ownership. You don't say, that was me. But something as you're watching that, some little piece of you says, oh, my God. God called me to give. Look what he's doing to this. People are meeting him. People are getting baptized. It changes the way you worship. It changes the way you see youth group because you're a little part of that. It changes the way you see baptism because you're a little part of that. It changes the way you see kids ministry because you're a little part of that. You feel that ownership skyrocket. It takes you from a passive person to someone in the game, someone on the field. It changes how you celebrate because giving is a privilege. It's not something we should moan. It's something we get to do. We're honored to do. We get to change the world. And so much of us changing the world comes through our giving. That's the why of giving. Let me tell you about the mindset of giving. Because the question is, are we giving or returning? We're actually not giving anything. We're actually returning something to God that's actually his in the first place. The question also is, is it my money or God's money? There's a big difference. Is it my stuff and he's taking something of mine? Or no, no, no. Or is it his in the beginning? And he's asking for some of it back to use it for a glorious purpose. My son is about to turn three and my wife has an iPad. You might know where I'm going with this. And sometimes he gets some screen time. Essentially, if we need some, if we're busy, we're like, oh, here's, here's the iPad. You know what I'm saying? Don't judge me. We watch some Netflix, some, uh, what do we watch? Some Octonauts, some Dino Trucks, some Paw Patrol. All right. The parents are like, what? You know exactly what I'm talking about. All right. You know the characters' names. Don't lie to me. I can see it right now in your faces. You know it. You know it. But one day my son came to mama and he said, mama, give me my iPad. Ooh, son, I'm glad I was at work because I wouldn't have had any of that because, excuse me? Your iPad, I didn't, you didn't, son, you're, you're not even three yet. You didn't buy this iPad. You didn't put the apps on it. You didn't charge it. You don't pay for the internet. You, you've done nothing. You were just an active participant because I'm allowing you to be, because I'm blessing you to use this. Some of you have teenagers who are starting to drive. And if they ever say, give me the keys for my car, you're going to lose it. You're going to lose it because you said it's my car. I'm paying for the insurance and the gas. I'm doing this. I'm just blessing you to use it. The same is true with God and the blessings he gives us. The exact same thing is true. If you feel like it's your money, it's harder to give because God's taking something. But if you realize it's God's money, it's a joy to give because it's his money. He's lending it to you for a time and he wants to see what you're going to do with it. And you might say, I bust my butt. I work hard. Of course you do. But who gave you life? Who gave you an opportunity? Who gave you a yes at that job interview, who, got, who gave you the passion, who gave you the drive, who gave you the gifts. I don't care how hard you would work if you were born in 12th century Nepal, but you would work a lot harder than you are now and you'd make next to nothing. God's blessed you a lot. He's blessed us a lot. He's setting this all up. Scripture talks about something called the tithe. It's not really about giving, it's returning. There's a big difference. Tithe means 10th. God says this, this is the Christian view of giving. This is what he says. He says, I'm going to give you 100. I want you to give me 10% back. And some of y'all just peed your pants. You're like, what? This is the Christian model of giving is 10%. And you may be squirming and thinking, oh, gosh, I didn't sign up for this. What the heck is going on? What's happening? I had a conversation with a family one time. They wanted some counseling, and I was meeting with them. And they said, you know, we're pretty well off. We we have good careers. um, And we give, but we'll, we'll never tithe. And I said, okay, just curious, not into it, don't believe in it. Like, that's great. Like, you don't have to. I'm not, like, that's fine. Just, I'm just curious. And they said, well, for us, 10% is a lot. And I'm sure for each and every one of us, 10% is a lot. But I realized they were saying something. They were, they were focusing on the 10, and they were saying 10% is a lot. But they were implying that 90% wasn't. 
They were saying 10% is a lot of money, but 90%, that's kind of chump change. That's nothing. That's not enough to live off of. That's not enough to enjoy. That's not enough to live the life I want to live. But you know, 10%, that's just too much. Let me say this. God will often not bless what we choose to withhold. God will often not bless what we choose to withhold. Meaning this, maybe you want him to bless your finances. You're stressed out. You can't sleep. You're fighting. You feel like you can't get ahead. You're saying, God bless me. He may be saying, first, you obey me. Let me give you this example. Let's say you want him to bless your marriage. You say, God bless my marriage. I want to have a good marriage. But you cheat on your wife. You lie, steep, chill. You go out to the bar every night. You never put the kids to sleep. You're off doing your own thing. But you say, God bless my marriage. Do you think he will? We do the same thing with money. We say, God, I need that promotion. God, I'm always living paycheck to paycheck. God, I'm, I'm stressed out. But we ignore every single thing he says to do with money. We're not saving. We're not budgeting, we're not planning, we're not giving generously. And we look and say, why, why am I not seeing blessing in this area? God's made it very clear how to obey him. Giving will actually help with your financial security. The reality is a lot of us live a major part of our life, our finances outside of the will of God. I've found it's better to live with 90% of your salary and God's hand on it than 100% without him being involved at all. And that's a scary step. And some of y'all can't make that step. I want to challenge you to give something somewhere. Maybe you, maybe you can do 10, do, do 10. Some of y'all call to do more than that. Some of you are like, you know what? I'll do 1%. I'll do five. I'll do three. I told you it was going to stretch you because no one's saying, amen, let's go. Fire it up, baby. I'm challenging you a little bit. I feel everyone like, why did I come today? This is awful. Okay. Let's go to Luke, Luke 638. This is what God wants for you. He said, give and it will be given to you. This is what he wants to give you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. He wants the blessings to overflow. He does. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You can't ask God to bless something if you don't surrender it to him first. God says, I'm going to give you the measure you give to the poor. I'm going to give you the measure you give to the church. That's what he's saying very, very clearly. And if you're scratching your head, frustrated, saying, I don't ever get these opportunities. God's not blessing my finances. The place you should look is not to him, it's to you. And I know that's hard. I know that's not something you wanted to hear today. But we have to look at our generosity because it's very clear. You set the tone. If you want God to be generous with you, you must be generous first. The exact opposite is the truth. Once again, you can't say, God bless my marriage, but I'm not going to surrender to you. I'm not going to do what you say. I'm going to do whatever the heck I want, but bless it anyway. For him to bless it, we must surrender it to him. We do so through giving. We do so through giving. Let's close here with the, the, we've talked about the why and the mindset. Let's close with the sacrifice of giving. Before we go to this text, I just want you to know, if you're new around here, a lot of you are, we talk about giving, I don't know, two times a year, maybe three. So if you're frustrated, you're like, why did I come this day? What's going on? I challenge you to come back. I challenge you to come back because I know this is heavy stuff. Let's recap what Jesus said. He said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. For they have given a tiny part of their surplus. They're millionaires. They gave $5 here and there. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. That phrase, everything she has, it may say in your Bible, her whole life. The word in Greek, what, she, what Jesus said she gave is Jesus literally said she gave her bios. Bios, maybe you studied biology. Biology is the study of life. Jesus literally looked at this woman and said she just gave her life. 
That is the model for giving. That's what he wants for us. He says, see her? She's given her whole life. See her? That's someone that trusts me with their whole life. I want to ask you, do you trust him with your whole life? Or just part of it? Just the part that's easy to trust him with. Just the part that maybe is out of your control. You see, he deliberately chose someone on the bottom rung of society. To widow. He deliberately chose someone who had all the excuses in the world not to give. To dismantle our excuses. Because when you hear about giving to the poor or to the church or to the needy, we just have excuses and they're good ones. We're struggling to get ahead. We have kids. We have medical bills. We have this stuff. We have all this stuff. And those are good excuses. Jesus deliberately chose a widow, the bottom rung of society. He was desperate to dismantle our excuses. Jesus is saying, if you really trust me with your whole life, giving is how you show it. The point is that God calls us to give him our whole life. Meaning, if you really want to live for God, if he's calling you to know him, you must surrender your entire life to him. Not just part, not just the part that's easy, not the, just the part as long as it's not an inconvenience to me, not just the part that's so I can kind of do whatever the heck I want to do and I'll go to church, get encouraged and get filled up. No, this is the hard stuff. What's crazy is if you're a Christian, you are trusting God with your eternity. You are. You're saying, I trust you with my kids, with my health, with my job, with my future. Maybe you live 50, 80, 100 years. I don't know. But you're saying, look, maybe I live 100 years, 100 years, and then I die. God, I'm trusting you with the next 100. And the next 100, and the next 1,000, and the next million, and the next trillion. God, I'm going to trust you with my eternity. I'm going to trust you with my forever, but I'm not going to trust you with my paycheck. That's a terrible reality I had one day when I realized I'm trusting him with heaven, but I'm not trusting him with my income. It's something I need to do. It's a step we need to take. What I don't want, to, uh, what I don't want us to miss today is the context in which Jesus was speaking. He was in Jerusalem, but this was the last week of his life. Very soon, Jesus was about to get taken prisoner and actually killed. He was actually about to be crucified. And Christians believe this, that Jesus died as a substitute for me and you. That he lived the perfect life, he died the perfect death. That he died in our place. So that we may have access to the Father and love and joy and peace and a forever with God. That's what Jesus did. But it's interesting what Jesus said because he looked at this woman and I believe he saw himself. He saw someone walking up in Jerusalem giving everything she had, giving her whole life so two things could happen, so that worship could happen and so that the world could be blessed. That's exactly what Jesus did for me and it's exactly what he did for you. That's why he used that phrase, her whole life. They were probably thinking, her whole life? What? What do you mean she gave her life? But when Jesus hung on that cross, when people saw that, they said, oh my God. It's finally clicking. It's finally making sense. This is the model for giving. Did you know Jesus had every excuse not to give? This woman had every excuse not to give. Jesus Christ had every excuse not to give. He was in heaven with the Father. It was perfect. He saw him face to face. It was bliss. It was joy. It's something you and I can't even fathom yet. Jesus Christ severed all that. He broke that to come to earth to suffer and die for me and for you. So don't tell me about excuses. 
Jesus had no reason to give other than love. Love for you. Love for you. Love for you. He had every excuse to hold back. But he loved you so much he did it. And he wanted people to understand. He wanted them to get it because it's hard to wrap your head around. So on the night in which he gave himself up for us, he gathered around his disciples, his friends, his followers, and he took a thing of bread. He took a piece of bread and he said, look at this. And he broke it. He said, this is what's about to happen. My body, I'm the bread of life. It's about to be broken for you. And then he took wine and he poured it out to them. And he said, drink this in for the forgiveness of sins. He wanted them to get it. Look, my body is about to be poured out. My life is about to be poured out for you. He wanted them to get it, to touch it, to taste it, and to let it sink down into the most inner parts of their being. We believe Jesus is on the move in Virginia Beach. And if you would like to learn more about who we are and our mission, follow us at Ascent Church 757. If you would like to give to further our mission to impact the city and beyond, you can do so at our website, ascentchurch.net. We hope to see you soon.